Good morning, Giants. Welcome to Wake Up With Giants TV. Have you ever wondered how to embody your full potential? Stick around. Good morning, Giants. Welcome to Wake Up with Giants TV. I'm Ryan Morris, and as always, I'm here with your host, Nicholas D. Smith, the author of The Giants and the Smalls. If you aren't following us on YouTube, you should go do that right now. Yeah. Hit and now. And now. And again. <laughs> Hit button, you know when we go live every single dang time. And then um, you can follow us on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. LinkedIn. Where else are we, Nick? TikTok. TikTok. And as Ryan says, OnlyFans and Farmers Only. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Yeah, maybe. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, will you introduce our guest this morning? I would love to. I'm going to read the bio because this is impressive. This is Erica Cartagena, and uh, she's joining us from New York City. Beautiful, sunny day out there in New York. She's a sought after BIPOC, and I have no idea what that is. Uh, Latin. What did you call her, Nick? Yeah. <laughs> Black yeah. indigenous person of color. There we go. There we go. Now I <laughs> know you. what it is. There you go. She's a HR organizational development expert. She's passionate about helping leaders embody their full potential in the workplace and beyond. And as a highly sensitive, intuitive empath, Eric is adept at creating psychological safety to inspire positive behavioral change and within individuals, teams, and systems. She's been coaching teams and individuals globally since 2008. She has over 15 years of experience leading people functions globally and started HR People at Etsy and JustWorks, in addition to, to advising several companies at various stages of growth. She's an investor who holds board seats and organizations supporting artists. Her clients include teams from Etsy, JustWorks, Twitter, Signal, Sciences, Goldman, Dropbox, Benching, Benchling, is that right? Hacker okay. One. <laughs> Jeez, there's a lot. The a lot Shift of, a lot of tech Network. Stuff. <laughs> it's like the credits at the end of a movie. It's like, Erica. Mine and would be like one Erica. and a half sentences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it starts with Ryan is. Yeah. That's the, that's the bulk of it. <laughs> So her, her work is informed by her diverse education at Columbia Business School, the Nalanda Institute. Um, she's been at NYU and Harvard Negotiation Project, in addition to countless teachers from all over the world. She's also a member of the Forbes Coaches Council. She has a background in dance, is an avid surfer and certified yoga and meditation instructor. And she lives with her dog, her longtime roomie and pup. Tyson, and we want to send out some blessings for Tyson, who's struggling today. So, Erica, welcome to the show. Did I miss anything? You know, I think I think that's pretty much everything. Aside from, I'm a leadership development coach, so that's that's the simple title, uh, and a lot of the. You mean I could have just said that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, top, the top part is pretty important as well. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's impressive. I, you know, our goal with this yeah. show is to really dive into your journey and your philosophy, and we're gonna naturally do that as we talk here. And if we get off course, it's even better. Right. So if we go down some rabbit hole, that's that's awesome. 
So you'll see comments on the bottom. You can a- answer those if you want. You can ignore them, whatever you feel like doing. Okay. But we're going we're gonna to go back in time with you to either childhood and development or an awakening moment in your life. So I'll let you choose where you want to start. As some people really enjoy talking about what it was like growing up. Hmm. <clears throat> I am... Um... I, I guess I'm happy to chat about either thing, but I'll start. I'll start with childhood. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's yeah. do that. Tell us about it. What so, was it like? I grew up in <laughs> love rabbit holes too. I grew up in Rockland County, New York, uh, oldest Latina household. I'm Cuban, Puerto Rican, and probably a few other things. We keep unpacking and discovering things with every <laughs> 23andMe test. Yeah. And um, I think I we're 23rd together. cousins. Actually, yeah. <laughs> that would actually make a ton of sense. Actually. Uh-huh. And I had a, a beautiful, a beautiful upbringing, not too far from the city. And my parents were very young parents. So my parents met at teenagers. My mother was married at 19 and had me at 20. And the rest of my family had children relatively young as well. First generation here. I'm the oldest of three. So there was a lot of, um, there was just a lot of pressure that was placed on me. As, as the oldest and as the role model, which I'm sure a lot of first-gen people could appreciate. And my father was, was quite strict, so I felt a little bit sheltered and unfree and always had these like elaborate escape plans that involved like a rope from my bedroom window. <laughs> um, and I just always you know, had a really, really strong desire. I'm incredibly close to my family. I love all of them. I moved back to New York from California in order to be, to be closer to them. So we're wonderful. I see them every single week. We talk almost every day. Uh, But childhood was a little tough at times because my parents were children raising children. So they were learning as they were, you know, they were very much building the plane as they were flying it. Uh, So we were teaching each other a lot. And it also informed a lot of my ambition, uh, my unconventional nature, my desire to be free. And I had wanted to like escape the little bubble and I really wanted to test convention and test boundaries. And I think that that planted the seed and helped inform the rest of my life. I knew that I had to carve out my own path. There was nobody else that I was really looking to from a role modeling perspective, as, as in, I want that exact life. So it always felt like it was on me to create it. And I mm. think that, that was something that was born within me from my early childhood years. I think that's an interesting dynamic because you have first gen parents or you're a first gen from Mm -hmm. your parents coming to America. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Sham, um, how do you say it? Is that his last name? Sham? Dr. Sham? Dr. Sham. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a follower of ours and, and uh, just incredible person. He's going to do a show on our network. Uh, But his parents were from India and similar pressures. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Navigating that during development is you've got all this pressure coming on you and and then a trying to escape in a way, a trying mm-hmm. to develop your own identity within that while having the pressure to to bring the traditions forward. Yes. And so I can imagine that some people might not have had that. They're their fourth, fifth, hundredth generation, whatever it is in America now. So there's not that pressure. Mm-hmm. And so how did that impact you as far as feeling like you fit in socially, maybe accepted. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That it's, I was, my brain was going there as you were saying yeah. that. I was my, reading that as yeah. I was reading your thoughts. That's where I saw your brain going. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the desire to assimilate was really real. 
I yeah. grew up in a predominantly Jewish community and my parents, I was never, I was never incredibly religious. My parents were Catholic and I'm not even sure that I can call them religious, um, but they were, my mom certainly was more of a practicing Catholic than I ever was. So there was, and, and I had uh, definitely felt like an outlier growing up. I was the only, aside from my siblings, the only Hispanic woman, the only Hispanic child that I knew. So there was, and when people came over to my house, I was so embarrassed because my mom used to talk about people right in front of their faces in Spanish. And I was like, mom, stop it. So my desire to assimilate <laughs> English was so strong. And uh, so that that was something that that came through quite often. I just wanted to blend in. I didn't want to stand out. I wanted my friends. I wanted to be like my friends. And uh, so that so that was certainly a thing. And the juxtaposition there is that my family, of course, like we they really wanted to maintain tradition and um, they really emphasized like overemphasized family and yeah. uh, made us made us because I was an adolescent at the time. And all I wanted to do was was be with my friends. But my parents like always drew us into family life and kind of forced it for quite some time. Yeah. It's really funny because now I'm like, hey, are you are you guys busy? Can I come over and hang with you? Like, <laughs> weird when you get older. Like I want to yeah. want to move back in. I know. <laughs> like not have the responsibilities <laughs> like, anymore. Parents and parents. It's like throwing in a VHS or a cassette yeah. tape, right? It's a, it's novelty in Absolutely. a way. Absolutely. So for, for those that are wondering if I can read minds, Hugh, no, I can't read minds. <laughs> oh, I, well, yeah. It's I not, just say, I'm like, mm-hmm. No, and, and I don't believe that I can. So no, that 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 doesn't exist. But I'm always I like, get out of my mind, Nick. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, that that dynamic, right, of of wanting to assimilate, wanting to fit in, and then also creating your own path. So what what created? Did you know you were going to do what you're doing now? Gosh, when you not started, at all. okay. Not so at all. tell us a little bit about the pathway that emerged as you started stepping into discovering yourself? It's a beautiful question. So I, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit when I was in, oof, when was it? When I was in middle school, I was interning for a private investigator. And while in high school, I became co-owner of a pizza restaurant and opened that up with somebody who I was dating at the time in order to help myself, <laughs> help pay for college. Again, I was still in this escapist running away <laughs> sort of mentality. Yeah, yeah. And um, there were a lot of things that informed my path. I've always had an incredibly strong service orient orientation. Mm. Like one of my deepest truths is that I'm here to serve, like use me for that, you know, source or whomever. And that had, I was I think I was just born with it. I'd always had this like deep desire to, to be in service to people and more importantly, to be in service to animals. So I had wanted to be a vet throughout most of my life. And then I, I went to school and I changed my major to, to biology. I was interested in studying medicine, but while I was, while I was actually shadowing a couple of doctors, I got really into the Western medical system and I became disenfranchised with how it was run and how it felt like really, operational and we were like spitting people out when I was actually really interested in the science of healing. Like how can I show up for people in a space and create the space for deep healing to occur? And um, I guess just a, a byproduct of my experience was such that uh, the realistic limitations of our medical system shown through really strongly. And then I was a little bit lost. It, you know, I was, it was in my junior year and I was like, okay, well, 
I just burst this medical school bubble to my parents' dismay. <laughs> they probably will still give me crap about it. And um, so what do I do now? So then I, I was like, well, business is pretty broad. So I guess I'll just study finance and economics. So I landed backwards in, in this you know, finance sort of track and did incredibly, incredibly well. So I started my career at PwC. And uh, I was there for a couple of years modeling CDOs, 2008. We all know what happened then. Uh, and, and in 2008, my entire world changed. Changed. There were a thousand different things that happened at once. It was one of the toughest years of my life. And it caused me to deeply reevaluate everything, what I was doing, how I was doing, how I was showing up, et cetera. And my partner at the time and my dearest friend passed away. And we suddenly mm -hmm. ended up working together. And I remember going to my HR person and saying, Bianca, I quit. I'm out. Like, just I'm out of here. And she was like, oh, but you're, you're so good at what you do. And, you know, you've shown up with so much heart and compassion. And I think marrying your soft skills with your analytical skill set would make you a really powerful asset in the coaching and HR journey. And I was so naive. It was 2008. And, and I was like, yeah, I'll try this HR thing. I want life to be easy and I want to plan parties for a while. That was literally what my thought process was. <laughs> Little did I know what I was stepping into. And I've, I've never looked back from there. So I applied for my first HR position in a corporate, in a corporate setting while still at PwC. And it's become such an incredible journey over time in marrying um, how to help people heal in the workplace, which is where they spend the vast majority of their time. So I fell into it completely backwards. I absolutely mm. love what I do now. I'd always been interested in psychology and uh, studied Tibetan Buddhism and gotten really deep into like exploring what is the human condition, have done a lot of vision quests and solo and soul, all different types of soul journeying. So all of that kind of fit together, but only in retrospect when I traced the breadcrumbs. I had no idea <laughs> what I was yeah. doing where this was leading at the time. And then finally, from a coaching perspective, um, I, I loved the HR work for some time, but when I felt into, and I really took a look at my life where my highest joy and my highest excitement was, and where I spent the vast majority of my time, it was in one-on-one -on -one conversations or in group mediations or in creating harmony and psychological safety in the workplace. So I decided to build my own internal like micro practices and introduce coaching into the organizations that I was working within. And then my practice became bigger and like I, I, my practice outgrew my actual role as an HR leader. So then I started to just focus more and more and more on coaching. So then I was doing internal coaching and then I eventually went out on my own. Amazing. So that's like my whole journey. Yeah. <clears throat> let me, let me pause there because this is, this is a highlight of, of the journey. You hit on some things. Steve Jobs said this, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only backwards. So you have to trust that they'll connect. And you're saying the same thing or a similar thing is looking forward. You can't see how this is all going to come together. You wouldn't have even known that you would be in this profession, truly. Not at all. So as you're starting on your journey, it kind of evolved into that. And certain events like 2008 happened. I would imagine the, the passing of a partner uh, occurring would have you revisit life and what's important to you. Mm -hmm. And then from there, really step out and, and align with that more. It's amazing that the things that occur in our lives are, are really eye-opening in a way. It's, it's we have our delusion of what life should be like and what we're doing. And this is the right path. And then we come back to reality from an event like that. And it really has this question how we want to show up in the world. 
And so I appreciate that journey because for those listening, it's, it's an opportunity to really look at trusting the steps. The steps are going to connect. So if um, I use the analogy of a tree, right, as, as an example here, and hang on to that thought because I know you have that there. So hang on to that and we'll get, we'll get to it. Am I that emotionally transparent? Yeah, no, just, no, no. Just reading your mind again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just heard you. I heard you start to verbalize it. Um, but hang on to that for real, because we'll come back to that. Okay. But but the idea of a tree is that it's not a straight line. There, very rarely do you see a, a tree that is just a straight stump mm-hmm. to the outcome. It's always branching and bifurcating, and our lives go that way. Yet we're taught that you need to have goals that are straight lined. And I would imagine that some of those paths in the tree are straight lines, but the tree as a whole is not. So your life as a whole is more like the tree than it is a single branch. Mm-hmm. And, and so I want to tie you back to what you were just about to say. Will you, do you remember that? Oh yeah, I do. Okay, go ahead. That was, that's yeah. a really, that's a really uh, beautiful, beautiful analogy actually. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I, that welcome. often comes up in meditation, rooting into the earth and just, yeah. Even the way trees communicate. And I, yeah. I really appreciated that. I love that their heads are in the dirt. Their <laughs> brains are in the dirt. Yeah. Literally. It's amazing. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, what, what you said, so there were, unfortunately, and for, fortunately, you know, just life is, is what it is. There were a series of events in 2008, in addition to what the market was doing, my mother was diagnosed with stage three cancer, all within the same two months and a couple of other uh, individuals passed who were really near and dear to me, which just caused me to really surrender into the void and become like betrothed to the unknown. And I can't tell to this day, and it's still a practice for me, as especially during these times, um, whether I was just so cried out and so emotionally <laughs> spent and exhausted mm. that I, I couldn't do anything else but surrender because I didn't have any more fight in me. Yeah, and yeah. it just taught, it just taught me the most incredible lessons to just um, allow with a great deal of any sort of grace and compassion that you can muster and to pay attention really deeply because you kind of have no choice. And um, yeah, like when, when life takes, you know, uh, you go through, through ups and downs and when you're yeah. in the valley, mm-hmm. sometimes you're just staring into the abyss and uh to feel, to really practice um, as as uncomfortable as it is, to feel as comfortable as possible. Like I just remind, I remember just like in prayer, my thought practices and in my meditation, just a lot, just saying, okay, Eric, you're betrothed to the unknown. You can't see what comes next, next, but trust that it's for your highest good. Yeah, yeah. Allow surrender, allow surrender. You're, you're going to be okay. You'll get through this. That's incredible. The the amount of things that do occur at one time or happen at one time, and and then you're wondering, why me? Why is this happening to me of all people? Mm-hmm. Well, why not? Why not? In, in one sense. Yeah. And there's really opportunity inside of that depression and that depressed state because it, it really pushes us and forces us to step back from our, our visions and hopes and delusions that we have about how life should be and mm-hmm. look at life like it is. And when we do that, we often go into the rumination reflection about what's going on. And that's where the opportunity is. The that's rumination right. and reflection often is so intense. I heard this week that uh, communication emotions our communication before communication. So they're the communication before the words. And so often we feel the emotions before we even know what's going on or what we're communicating. And you can see that on people. Yes. I'll be in conversation. And I'll see it all over their face and their body movements. 
you are communicating what's going on, even though you might not be speaking it. I've had people where that's two different conversations going on, the emotional conversation and the, and the, the one we're having. It's like your mom's speaking about her her friends in front of their faces, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The visceral memory of that just makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it does for other people too. If we're having two conversations and there's an emotional conversation going on, but a a verbal conversation going on, it's, it's not, it's not meshed or melded. And, and so as you're going through this and you, you tap into that surrender, which feels like a forced surrender, what did you discover? Like what had you wake up at that time to this creation that you're in right now? Well, I think that that's another beautiful question. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. The real knowing. Thank, that- thank you. Thank you for that acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Life in, you know, if, if we believe in 3D matrix reality, linear time, yeah. just the real finite nature of life. And honestly, it just takes me back to the importance of showing up for your people and for yourself with, with the deepest sense of, of love and compassion and understanding and not having anything left unsaid. So it was that year where I started to do a lot of self-legacy work and reflection, not in an egoic sense, but like what, what sort of impact do I wanna leave on this world? If I were to go tomorrow, how would I feel about that? Uh, what feels unlived and unmet? What is going to be my greatest sense of purpose and impact? And that's when I started to write my obituary, which is a thing that I do every single year and uh, meditate on death and just mm. really contemplate it and, and unpack it as something, you know, we live in a, in the West, at least like a predominantly death phobic society. So I started to just get really curious about it because I almost had to and, um, and just ponder impermanence and the unknown and start to really relax into that and work on making it feel safe for my nervous system to relax into that. Hmm. Okay. I, I want you to dive down a rabbit hole with me sure. on impermanence. Wabi-sabi, right? The Japanese version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that nothing lasts, it all, it all passes. We pass at, at some point we're all going to hit that road, right? Mm-hmm. You're experiencing that right now with your pupper. Yeah. 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 And, and so the idea of impermanence and creating peace around that, can you dive into that a little more? Yeah, I think, I think that there's, there's a relationship and a correlation between our expression of love and grief. So the, my grief cycle for my dog and what it is that we're currently going through together as like my familiar and a family member, my closest confidant, my best friend, my love Mm. is, you know, we, we have been together for 16 years and it's an honor to show up for him as his senses are going and, and like in this state of deterioration, it feels like it's the very least that I can do. Uh, and we get to love each other and I get to like hold him during this critical stage of his transition. And, um, and I, I just, you know, there's, there's so much love there and that's why, I just feel like the grief is um, is like in direct correlation to the amount of love that I feel for him. And I bring it back to gratitude, but not in like the bypassing sense where like I force myself to be happy. I yeah, mean, yeah. puffy, puffy. I spent the past two days like hysterically crying, like yeah, uh, you know, yeah. allowing for the full the full spectrum of emotion to to move to move through me. And my work is in doing my best not to judge it, just to allow it. 
And it was only because I've spent the past two days crying <laughs> that yeah, yeah. I'm able to come to, to get like a slightly, like just a little bit closer today to what acceptance might look like. And so, I can just feel, you know, how just my gratitude for him and our time together. Hugh, Hugh's been trying to teach me this lesson for years. Mm. He's one of our followers in the group. His daughter mm -hmm. passed away, Jessica. And the, the grief cycle, we have it in our journeys, the 12 journeys, and it's an important journey because it's, it's one of those things. If you don't recognize what it does for you, then it can really be impactful in a negative way. Yeah. And so to wake people up to the idea that grief can serve you, but not recognizing what grief even is or that it's present. Sometimes we'll go through a change in our lives and, or it's impactful, like an animal dies or a family member dies or passes, or you lose a limb. We've had people lose mm -hmm. limbs or paralysis. When you get into that space, you go through the grief cycle, which pulls you into, like Hugh says, like you're saying, a loving of the experience. And it's beyond, it's beyond gratitude because gratitude is kind of fleeting in the moment. Yes. And the more you do it, the less effective it becomes. Mm -hmm. Grief is one of those things that's long lasting. It's, it's impactful. And it, and it has you remember, like Hugh says, like you're saying, the best parts mm -hmm. of the experience. Yes. And it's nonlinear and it comes in waves, right? Mm. So just, and, and our memories are, are triggered by, by our experiences, like just, you know, anyways. Yeah. I love that. Ryan, do you have some thoughts there? I was thinking about the, you know, you, you mentioned writing your obituary. And so as you're doing that, I mean, I, I would imagine that as you write your obituary of maybe how others see you, you can then see where you need to work on, you know, maybe see your shadows or your, your weak spots. Can you dive into that a little bit? Cause now I'm super curious on like, is there a process behind my question's not as beautiful as Nick's, but he's a beautiful man, beautiful questions for a beautiful man, but writing your obituary and then, and then um, like maybe some of that process. Cause I, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, Many years ago, actually in 2006, I I created, I mean, I'm sure it's around, I don't want to take credit for creating it, but I, my friends were kind enough to, to be in this thought experiment with me. Um, I created something called my living eulogy, Y-O-U-L-O-G-Y. -O -O I actually think I just let go of the URL this year. And huh. it was essentially a 360 process where I will, where I would pull and ask the closest human beings to me. Um, like, how is it that you perceive me? If you were describing in three words, what might those three words be? What, what am I not seeing? I probably didn't ask these questions as eloquently as I can probably now because I didn't have the vocab access to the vocabulary, like shadow work and things like that. But yeah. I was, I was basically like, what sort of things will you remember about how it is that I made you feel? And what am I not seeing right now? And like, where's the Delta is, was essentially what my work was. So then I would do my own self-analysis and then I would compare it to how it is that others perceived me. And then like the, the gap was a part of where my work was. And it's really the, interesting. The Delta, right? the delta yeah. being the difference, right? That's right. That's okay. right. Yep. So, and the, you know, and the difference, like it could be a blind spot analysis in a great way where it's like yeah. a, an unrealized strength. Right. And, and to tie this to work with a lot of folks that I work with, they're typically high performing C-suite, you know, essentially killing it in life. And there is a great deal, except in one area, which I can get into, there is a, 
great deal of undervaluing how it is that they are doing in a certain aspect or area of their life or a certain um, category of how it is that they show up where they underrate themselves. So it actually serves to be like an illuminating piece for either the things that you kind of forget and don't even realize that you do well. And also for the things that people really appreciate you for that you think you're like a four out of 10 around and they're like, oh, that's like an 11 out of 10. Like this is how you show up, you know, really consistently. And of course, it can go in the other direction as well. So I yeah, think you might think you're just absolutely smashing it one way and then everyone else is perceiving you as a giant douche canoe. So. <laughs> that's the actual term that they put in there. Yeah, that's you're, technical. Yeah. Yeah, that's the devil. That happens too. And I think what's important <laughs> about that is that you want to choose people who might have some controversial, controversial and adversarial opinions that might hurt a little bit. So not just to choose people who are like from, you know, just cheerleaders and uh, but also to, to choose people who you may have had a great deal of interpersonal conflict with where things have been really, really hard. Um, like for instance, that person for me is my sister. <laughs> so I choose Sometimes her all. Family is the, is the ones that can, can <laughs> yeah. lay it out. Right. <laughs> ask, yeah. ask your mom in Spanish. She'll be like, this is it. Ask your sister, ask your mom in front of you. <laughs> right. Totally. Right. totally. So, like, mom, mom, you know, I can understand you. Yeah. I'm right here. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's a part of it. And and it evolves, you know, the, it evolves over time. The things that used to be important to me, uh, which were more essentially like egoically centered and individualistic have really expanded and grown a little bit bigger, a lot bigger over time. The things that used to be important to me have fallen away. When I used to think about like, I think a lot about, uh, I mean, I have one core value. I keep my life really, really simple. And I organize around that one core value and that's freedom. So from there is how I build any sort of goals. Like I know that that's the most critically important thing for me. So I have my own internalized definition of what it is that that is. And that also ties into my obituary practice. So it's like, okay, you know, do I feel free? Uh, am I enabling freedom for others? Like, what does this look like in my life? What is the feeling of freedom? What does it look like to not feel free? Mm. So those are the types of things that both are and inform how it is that I do that. I just pictured in gifts, in gift fashion and meme fashion, William Wallace. That's where my mind went. I actually, I actually had a, I went the other way, Nick. Yeah. And I was like Homer Simpson, where he's got the monkey and the symbols. <laughs> Sometimes that's my mind, and I'm like, huh? Yeah. Huh. I need to, I need to think a little bit more. <laughs> that was amazing. The the beauty of a a you while you and I think you should reframe uh, that, bring it back up, resurrect okay, it, yep, bring it back up. There's a, there's a program that we have that can make that process really efficient and easy for you. And, and we'll share that with you after if, if that would be interesting. It's free. So it's something you can do. Um, but that process would serve a lot of our community too, going through that eulogy process and might be a way for people to get into conversation with you about what you do. And going into your philosophies of life, they, they start to emerge. What's important? What matters to Erica? Mm -hmm. And it gives a sampling of what could be possible for those that are watching. And the way our brains are designed with our mirror neurons, the ones that reflect back in ourselves what others are doing and fire when yeah. others are doing things is what occurs. So when we're, we're doing these conversations weekly, and I'm thinking about this, and I'm going to get way off track and bring it back, is that- Right here, right here. We with get you. to experience other people's versions of life and inside of us, there's a change. Mm -hmm. Every week we get to jump on here and have conversations like a coaching session. Mm -hmm. So we get an, a sampling of what's possible 
for us, our neurons fire. And then if we want to, we can continue that path and it becomes our automation, our way of being. Yes. And so as, as you look at your way of being, this is a sampling for those that are watching. See, I could pull it. I'll pull it back here, <laughs> giving us a sampling of what's possible in your world. And so for you specifically, what is it that matters in your world? What is it that, and, and two forms of this, what's important and also what are you materializing from your imagination and from the ethereal, from source or however you describe that, what matters in your life that gets created and then also what matters, what's important. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you want yeah. to play with that for a minute? Sure. And you yeah. let me know whether I'm getting too tangential or whether there's a different question. Gentle, you go, you go be tangential. <laughs> yeah. Be gentle being tangential. You might just, just lose me. Just, just bring me back. I just get it. Rant, rantle. <laughs> rantle. what I get. I love it. Um, yeah. Such, uh, such a deep question. So hmm, there's so many different ways that I can go. Yeah. If, and if, yeah. If you just um, chose one, you know, whatever is foremost. What comes up, what comes up more than anything else is this deep unwavering service orientation and, and desire to be useful, useful, not in a way that society deems, and, and Nick, you and I have talked about this before, right? Like an obsession with busyness or, yeah, yeah. or anything like that, but like, how can I truly be in service and of service? And I think that what I, what I'm able to bring to people is, is quite simple. Um, and it's a safe space to feel seen and heard. Mm. So, and, and we're nonverbal, you know, about, I think we're 70% nonverbal, something like that. So, um, just being able to feel to be present with somebody is one of the greatest gifts that you can give them. So I see, being I see Ryan's face like <laughs> nothing. <laughs> keep going. We're good. Might yeah. make something happen in the comments. Keep going. <laughs> You're doing great. Yeah, to just to just read the things that aren't being shared and said. And I, I you know, that's that's certainly a part of my mission or what I wish to bring to the world. And and from that place of, of deep presence, like that, that essentially creates the container for the most incredible, profound work to emerge. And yeah. I do a lot of really, I mean, I, I have a really interesting relationship with technology where I, I mean, my entire coaching practice is completely referral based. Yeah. Um, and I, I spend a lot of time offline in order to just recuperate, I have really, really, uh, really strong boundaries around that. And I'm constantly cultivating attention, particularly living in the society where we're being pulled in a thousand different directions all the time. So those are one, that's one of the main practices that I really ground into. Can I, can I insert something into this? Sure. Like the, the idea that is, this is random as shit, but it's, <laughs> it's the idea that, uh, you have two people in front of you and they're going to have a conversation with you. Einstein's ability to create relativity was simply from what he was putting in there evolved out of him. And so it's, it's something we all can do. So we're sitting there in conversation. There's an opportunity to have a dialogue with somebody. And there's a person over here that says, you know, I, uh, I just, you know, I love comic books. I just stuff my head full of comic books. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have a deep conversation with this person. And then there's Erica over here that says, well, I speak multiple languages. I come from multiple cultures. I am developing myself in a world that is, is different from what I was maybe born in. Um, I've been, you know, I've, I've got degrees in this, 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 and this, 
And I'm sitting there listening, not as a matter of one's better than the other, but if I'm in deep dialogue, who's going to be able to draw from more in that conversation? And, th and this is a possibility for anybody listening is that intuition that comes from what's in there, what's stored in there. And as an ability, we have the ability to store the entire internet, every single one of us in our single brains. And so somebody that fills it with comic books or cartoons for coaching and conversation versus somebody that is really feeling it full of things that would be serving useful. It's not about that you're smarter than anybody. It's just that when you go to draw from intuition, your draw bank is huge. Hmm. Does that make sense? Does that bring up? I know, I know that's a little off course there, but. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I think a lot about time, time and energy, yeah. right. And I, and I imagine it all to be finite. So the way I don't judge the way people spend their time or what it is that they wish to devote their lives to, but I do think of my life as a devotional practice and I, it's always me versus me. Like, how can I meet like the newest iteration of my being? Where am I in my becoming process and what's going to make me at the beginning and at the end of the day feel like I'm living a well-lived day, which, which, you know, each one of those experiences will result in living a well-lived life. What will make me feel the ways that I want to feel by the end of my life and what, what is going to make me feel enriched. And I think, um, we all, we all have our vices and our distractive, our distractive mechanisms. Right. And, and when I work with my, my clients, I, we either call them vampiritos, which is like mini vampires, because it's a cute way to say vampire. Yeah. When you say okay. it in Spanish accent, it's probably even a little bit cuter. But it's like, what are those little time and energy sucks? So it's not so much like a shaming mechanism, but yeah, how, okay. is it, how do you show up for your life and your time? And what is the thing pointing to? So if you're investing your time and energy in a thing and... Um, that's where you want to be. What are you not addressing? What are you not listening to? Can you pay attention to any sort of sensation that's coming up? Because I think in society, a part of our work, a part of my work, I should say, is, is almost like an, a simplification process. Like how do you unpack and strip away all of the conditioning in order to get closer to like the inherent nature that is you yeah. and create and live from that place? So, so I want to kind of reword what I shared there. So it's not fully egoic because it could be that, that the more, you know, the better you're able to teach. It's not that it's that some people become experts in certain areas. If I was going and wanted to learn from somebody in the comic book world, I would want that person that knows comic books, right? Because that's what they've devoted themselves to. But depending on what you're trying to create in your life, being in presence of somebody that is, is devoted their learning and understanding and their desires to grow around a certain topic like you have. I don't know anything about obituaries or eulogies or anything like that. I haven't had some of the experiences that you've had. So for me to develop that, I'd want to go to somebody that had developed that. Mm -hmm. And there's going to, there are going to be variations around that in the world, depending on what we're looking for. Absolutely. But the idea, the idea is the devotion of it. Somebody that, that gets so ingrained with it that they want to know all they can about it. That might be from the spiritual sense. That might mm -hmm. be scientific. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to clean up the mess I just created with that comment. <laughs> I'm waiting for the comments to come through. Like, Nick, that is bullshit. Yeah, but I understood. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, so the matter and going back to what matters to you is, is the creation of holding space and creating a container for people to do their work and, and your ability to do that. I, I can tell already your ability to listen 
your interaction in this conversation. I see you watching in <laughs> both directions, the, the dialogue. Um, I've seen people where they, they have no clue what's going on on the other side of the table. And there's an opportunity there to really slow down with a person. Your ability to create a capacity and a container for people to be heard, which I love Carl Rod or yeah, Carl Rogers, mm-hmm. right? The um, his his work and his method is simply to hold space and have you hear you in such a way that you do your own work and your own resolution. Mm-hmm. And I hear that in what you're describing here is that you create that space and you help people hear themselves when they might not may not hear themselves. Is that accurate? That's that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And and there are many people who unfortunately don't have a ton of relationships or the experience of just being held in a way where someone's not nitpicking or judging them mm-hmm. or forcing a different worldview upon them, particularly if they differ in any sort of, you know, opinions or live differently, et cetera. And, and that was also a hard, that was a challenging lesson for me to learn. And, and like most things, you know, I think it's like a Ram Dass quote, like whenever you think you're enlightened or evolved, go back to your family, like hang out with them and then you'll see all the stuff come up again. And that was something that I really learned within my family unit because I had wanted the best for my mom and for my dad. And when I was early on on the spiritual path and and in my journey, I had not really listened to their, I'd not really heard their no because I wanted so much more Mm. for them. So I would just impale them with the things that I was learning. Yeah, wow. so that really taught me that. I, I don't see that anywhere else in the world. That's, <laughs> that's a strange behavior. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's unusual. Yeah. Coming from a place of, of, of goodness, you know, like I, yeah. I just wanted the best for them. And I was like, oh, come on. I can like, let's, let's do this together. Like I'm here for you. I know, you know, whatever. And, yeah. and then um, I but let there's it a, go. There's a forcing of it, right? Totally. There's yeah. a forcing and, you know, that's, and I'm not, I'm not claiming to be anybody's teacher, but that that saying that comes to mind is as as soon as the student is ready, the the teacher appears. And that's very true. Like you cannot meet somebody at a place where you want them to be. They have to rise and meet you there. And then that can unfold. So that's the thing that I heard about that I learned about the listening. So now and that's why I'm like, oh, I just have to embody and when people get curious about a thing, like, how did you learn that thing? Or how did you do, you know, ask questions that you both are asking, then we can go into that because at least then you get the micro yes. And there's an openness to exploring versus like drilling your ideology or like the things that you have, you're excited to share with people, you know, yeah. forcing, it, forcing it onto them. We, um, we have our version, you mm-hmm. know, within the giants and we try and keep it neutral because there are a lot of backgrounds in our group, a lot of cultures, races, religions, politics, political views. We try and keep it fairly neutral in there, which is a challenge because you have you have this energy of now it's this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And in my book, The Art of Accomplishment, I talked about the bubble perspective where there are all these people are in bubbles and they're going around saying, hey, this is the way this is. This is my world. This is the way I see it. It's my bubble. They bump into somebody else and they've got a different view and they're like, no, you're wrong. And they battle. And we get in groups and out groups. Yeah. And if, if they could yeah. just hold space, like Hugh just said, you know, an understanding of my understanding is when you, when you get over there and you hear somebody else's perception and perspective of life, it's not necessarily that you have to agree with it. It's simply, you can hold space for the idea that I see how you can see that as a truth. And that is a truth. And then you have your truth and it doesn't make either one right or wrong. It's just simply, there's two different versions, relative versions of the truth. 
And so opening up to that allows them to have space to feel safe and open up and describe their world, which creates opportunity to see it a little different. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's at the the foundational basis of so much, so much of the work that I do, so much of the mediation, you know, that happens. Absolutely. Mediation. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Having two people in front of you, is that... Yeah. Well, sometimes a group of people, sometimes a group wow. of executives that have really different, different experiences and, and worldviews, you know, between yeah. how it is that they show up. So uh, sometimes finding the common ground isn't possible in, in every single instance. Right. So how but at least let's get to a place of, of understanding or an openness to yeah. accepting mul- multiple truths and multiple realities, even if they're not your own. Can you create a distinction between understanding and agreement? (sighs) That's another great question. We'll never really, I I guess one way to test for understanding is to reflect back what you heard and what you experienced to the person and then checking for understanding. I think that's the only real way to get to a place of understanding is is creating a reframe and checking in with the person who who, who delivered the message to see if you're tracking with them. From an acceptance perspective, um, I can speak to what what it is that that might look like. It, it's it's verbal. It could be verbalized, like I hear you, yes, I see you, or it could also be you you feel. What I've experienced most of the time is like a softening, like mm. the shoulders go down, the jaws not no longer tense, people are smiling, movements are a bit more relaxed. They're, you know, they're no longer like this and they move to a more expressive and relaxed way of being. I'm not saying that those are like the tried and true ways, but there is often like a, like you feel something in the room. You know, so even yeah. before the verbal cueing, you start to feel and, and, and witness like a relaxed energy in this space. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of acceptance and agreement is, it, it is what it is. Like mm-hmm. the way they see the world is the way they see the world. There's there, that is acceptance. That is what it is. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily something I want to accommodate within me, but I have allowance for it. JP yes. Morgan, he talks about allowance and accommodation and that allowance is I can hold space for you to have that, that view. My view is a little different, but I can allow for that. Mm-hmm. I won't take it in as my personal view because then that becomes agreement. Now, now it's, I, not only do I understand you, and I can accept you, but now I agree with you, mm-hmm. which is where the conversation can go. There was a on-to-core training that I did with Brandon Craig, mm-hmm. and he talked about a model of relating and just simply getting into a space where you can hold space for somebody's version on the other side of the fence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I picture the image where the two guys are arguing, it's a six, it's a nine, and they're both correct based mm-hmm. on their perception. Mm-hmm. And so a model of relating is simply the idea of being able to hold space for an understanding and an acceptance that it is what it is. And then from there, come to a, an agreement, come to a, a resolution in a way, a seeing of the world differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the traps that we fall into often is our brains are, we. there's like this myth of multitasking, right? Like yeah. our body's constantly multitasking, but our, our we can't prepare a response and listen at the same time in the most effective way. And being fully present in a conversation may mean that you drop and you let go and you shed 
your responses. And this was one of, this was a tremendous lesson for me to learn while I was at PwC, where I was like, how do I not build a case and listen fully? Because you can't listen and listen to yourself and listen to others at exactly the same time. Yeah. So that was like a skill that I had to develop. And I did notice that over time, I became a deeper and more active listener because I was actually fully, even if I lost my train of thought, it'll come back. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't like have to, like, why do I even have to say that? Like, it's okay. <laughs> and, yeah. and that actually left to like a deepening of the bond, like almost all of the time. I love that you said skill set because that's, it's developed, it's created, which means it's available to anybody that wants to develop that. 100%. You could order it off Amazon almost, <laughs> right? Like, Discount code Erica10. Erica10. <laughs> Go ahead and order yours today. Only $19.99. The skill set called listening, deep listening. Exactly. exactly. On Amazon Prime. Um, yeah, this is beautiful. Ryan, did you have some thoughts come up through that? I saw your comments there. Yeah, I've, I've, I don't know if it comes just naturally for me, but I can, um, I see the good in people. Um, sometimes they can fool me. I've been fooled a few times, you know, where they're not good people. Mm -hmm. um, but my heart always goes to the best in people. Mm. And sometimes that masks other things that, that, that their actions do that you don't see that they're doing behind, you know, behind the scenes. But for the most part, I can take just about anybody and hear them and listen to them and, and hold them and drop my judgments. And it doesn't mean that I have to accept their position. I might, I might agree the hundred percent, the opposite direction, whatever, you know, but I can love them and hold them. And then I can also help them to step into their giant potential, whatever they want to accomplish, whatever they want to do to be the best that at whatever that is. And, uh, um, so I, I appreciate what you're saying here because it, it also makes me sit here and reflect and think about how am I showing up? What can I do differently to mm -hmm. um, to, to, to just love and, and to um, um, serve and help other people um, in the best way possible for them, not for me? That's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And... Um... I think that that's incredibly, incredibly important. A couple of things that come to mind. That's not easy for everybody. So I, I, I love that you do that. It's, it's, I don't know whether to call it a principle or a practice, um, but I fall in love with potential, which certainly has its shadow as well, but it really serves me in the coaching practice because mm -hmm. when I show up for my clients, I'm like, oh, I can... I can see where that is. And now I know how to, how to temper that, but I can hold that vision with them. And while I'm creating the structure for them to have the personal responsibility, you know, accountability and self-sovereignty to step into that, but I can Ooh, hold I like that with them and celebrate yeah. them along the way. Um, where people get into trouble with that, myself included, is, is when it comes to romantic relationships. And I'm curious to know whether that's the case for you with respect to falling in love with. <laughs> Potential or something I'm, I'm in. I'm in love with Tony Schmaltz. This guy <laughs> is amazing, and Alex. <laughs> that that is an interesting question. Do do we want to dive into that for a minute on relationship? We can. Yeah. We can if you'd like to. As a as a ne next. I love step. everybody. Yeah. So <laughs> I I have a tendency within relationship to. Uh, 
hold a little bit of a space mm-hmm. there, a little bit of distance. And so yeah, I, I do it in every relationship. It's not exclusive to what you're describing as a relationship. It's every relationship. I still hold a little bit of distance. And I, I create my own time to be with me. And then there's this concern that I might have to give that up inside of a relationship. And there's this desire to be me fully and this desire to serve and love the person that I'm with, whoever that is. As long as they're authentically themselves, then I can do that. If there's something else going on there, that's really hard to do because you don't know who you're working with. Now, if I if I get into a relationship and, and I'm willing to accommodate in certain areas, I, I don't even know where I'm going with this, this, if that makes sense. Ryan, maybe you can help me clarify this one. Nope. Because uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just going to let you flounder. No, the, the, the idea of coming to an understanding in relationship. So I got divorced after 17 years of marriage. And toward the end there, there was a, a period where we just couldn't communicate anymore. We were really both struggling. I was struggling. She was struggling. Um, we navigated the divorce without attorneys. We navigated and created a friendship after the fact. We've been very friendly and amicable since. But it was a creation. It took work and effort from both of us. And so there was some letting go and, and the resentments and the, the, the forgiveness and not causing additional harm, adding a marble to her jar and my kids' jars kind of a thing. But when it comes to new relationship, there's a trauma that is built up that creates a guard. Mm-hmm. And so that, that see, here I am opening up, guys. This is my inside stuff. So okay. that, that idea that somebody else out there in relationship that, that they can hold space for me to be who I am. I can hold space for them to be who they are. We can communicate as needed. And we're both coming from an authentic place. Um, that's where, you know, the, the question would be is how do you see that in relationship? How do you create that in relationship? And why is it maybe that that's too many questions here, but why is it that when we get into a, a romantic relationship, we start to show up totally different from a business relationship. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tackle that? <laughs> Is that too much? Uh, it's, it's, it's not, it's not too much. There, there are a few things that are ever, it's ever close, Nick, though. <laughs> you are You're right, right on the, edge, right it, on the it's edge. It's like on that car that's teetering on the edge. <laughs> yeah. You are right there. She's got so, you though. Yeah. So I guess, I guess now is a really good time uh, to, to share that when I work, when I work with my clients, yeah. Don't I don't typically touch the realm of romantic relationships. So it's more focused on relationships in general. And the, if somebody is showing up, self-love, wholeness, fullness, aligned to their passion, purpose, and truth, et cetera, that's going to like extend and emanate and touch every relationship in their lives. But I am def- I'm certainly not the authority when it comes to romantic yeah, relationships. Yeah. I want to be super clear around that. And it's it's a journey for me. And it and I'm very much in the inquiry and in the exploration. I just come off a about a year of, of intentional celibacy, which is which has inspired and created the spaciousness for me to do so much, like put so much brilliant work out into the world, and also help me heal my heart and reevaluate um, a lot of different things. I, and you, you know, you said a lot, a lot of things that are really important, and one of them that. I mean, I, I, I loved is, is like putting the marbles in, in the jar and, and feeling, you know, just that you were able to even come to 
this place where there were no lawyers and you just were able to show up for each other. And um, I often think about just what does it mean to show up in wholeness? And that doesn't mean perfection, like fully whole. Like how does one eradicate codependency and how can you be so grounded in who it is that you are? Like right now to date me, I don't mean this, I don't, I'm a little bit concerned with how this is going to come off, but I'm going to go with it anyway. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't an offer, right? Like no. <laughs> so you're just describing a, an experience here. So for those that are listening, this isn't an offer to reach out for a date. It's just what <laughs> Erica's oh, yeah. describing. I about that entirely. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, so what you were saying, right. With respect to becoming so whole within yourself and loving the time, like your solo time. And now in order to to be in any sort of relationship, the things that I'm thinking and, and feeling are, is it worth um, dedicating, carving out time, space and energy to allow this person in? So I too am boundaried. And that I think could be the wisdom of experience. There's a shadow frequency to that as well, where you just become guarded and shut down. So I think just watching where it is that you are, tending to your heart, giving yourself space and you know, between relationships and transitioning and just really paying attention to your truth. Like, do I actually feel open right now? Okay, cool. What is that looking like in my life then? What am I doing to signal that? Is like the microcosm matching the macrocosm? A lot of times, I, I mean, my friends, we laugh about this all the time. I'm not on, on any apps, not because I have any aversion to apps, but because I have this ingrained belief that I meet people all the time in real life. As long as I'm just like happy, embodied, doing my thing, living my truth, going out there, living my life, I'll meet people and it happens all the time. So I think that, but that's also what my signal system is putting out there. I'm not like, hi, I'm available, but I'm very much like, I love my life. Things are really cool. And yeah. I'm, I'm open, like I'm happy, you know, I'm at, I'm at peace for the most part. Um, so I think that that, that that matters a lot. I don't even know if I answered your question. No, you did. I think I think you did because it, it truly is. It's a healing of yourself first and then bringing that into the world and finding somebody else that's also doing that kind of work for themselves and coming together in a, in a relationship. The dance of codependency is this. I'm healthy. You're, you're healthy. It's like, it's this back and forth. Right. Yeah. And it's not, some people are like, well, that's an, that's a narcissist. This is that that's codependency. Well, yeah, it's probably a blend of traits of those things, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. traits doesn't merit a diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. But does, uh, does unhealthy, like does unhealthy, I'm pointing to myself, <laughs> does unhealthy attract unhealthy? I think or... that it certainly can. I think that it certainly can, right? Um, not not as a requirement, though. It's not like, oh, you're right. unhealthy, so let's get you on unhealthy.com for unhealthy people. <laughs> but, you set up. But I'm thinking, like, going along the lines of what you were talking about, like, yeah. you, he you work on you, and you work on the healing, and you work on loving yourself, and sometimes love comes in. Mm-hmm. From, mm -hmm. yeah. I think having a level of discernment and treating everybody as your potential teacher. And, um, you know, the other, the other thing I want to say too, is there's this concept about how, like what I learned growing up is there's going to be a man who completes me in like an, in a heteronormative sense, right? Like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. 50%, there's this other 50 and I changed that ratio to a hundred and a hundred. Mm. So like if both fill the third energy or the third entity and you serve 
what it is that we're like, what is the higher calling of this relationship? There are these individual needs, but then what's that thing? How do we feed and cultivate and nurture, empower and grow that relationship and devote time and attention to nurturing that and getting really clear on like, is this, do we like the way that this is evolving? Does this still, still make sense? You know, et cetera. Um, I think that it's really important to, sh to show up in, the, in that sort of way. And some of the comments are, are alluding to this, but I mean, I certainly believe in the law of attraction as well uh, as, as one of the many things. So I do think that you are often a vibrational match to what it is that you're attracting that, you know, you talk about mirror neurons. Like we, I think about the mirroring of society and how it is that you show up and um, just like the vibrational frequencies and how we are mostly energy. So that's a subject for, for another day. We could do a whole topic on that. Um, I there, saw there's coming through around that. There's a, uh, you know, so we don't get too far off on it, but it's beautiful. There really could be a topic on this where we just discuss that. Mm -hmm. um, there was a study done on longevity of people and, and what causes them to live the longest. And social connection was the largest factor in our overall health, the largest mm -hmm. and, and specifically relationship. And so when it comes to that, the healthier you can get that, the longer you're going to live, you're going to add life to your life. Mm -hmm. And so it really is important to, to heal yourself. We each have to heal ourselves because unless we're healed, we're going to continue to, to bring in teachers that yeah. teach us how to do that. And so I, I think we are all capable of that. There are some people that it may, they may take their whole life and never get through that lesson, mm -hmm. which is okay. Mm-hmm. But, um, we are all capable of it. That, that's, we have capacity for it. We're designed for that. And so I, um, I say, and so like there's something to follow. <laughs> I didn't have anything to follow. I was, I was really digging for something. It's kind of like the, um, like <laughs> I didn't know what to say next. <laughs> no, I, I think it's beautiful that, um, this, conversation even evolved the way it did. If we were to predict this conversation at the beginning, just going back to the analogy of the tree in your life, there's no way we could have predicted this as an outcome. <laughs> Yet it was fulfilling as a whole. There's there's fruit and benefit that came from this dialogue today. Yet we didn't have to go back and know every step going into it. There's a model in that for anyone listening is let go a little bit around the how-to of your life. Trust that the steps that you're taking are going to create something beautiful. Just keep stepping. And so yes. we yes. appreciate you being on with us. Thank you all. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to everybody who tuned in. It's such a joy and a pleasure. Thank you. Is there an offer that you have for the viewers? If somebody wants to have a conversation with you, can you speak yes. to that? Yes. If, if anybody is curious about my work, wants to book a call, 30-minute call. I offer them for free discovery or chemistry calls, and you can have a look at my website. And there are also tons of testimonials and things on there. My website is www.ericacartagena, my name.com. And Cartagena spelled like the city in Colombia. Erica is with a K. For those that speak uh, with the English accent, it's Erica Cartagena. <laughs> <laughs> .com. Yes. Yeah. Really butcher it. No, so reach, reach out and have a conversation. Uh, that's a beautiful offer for those that are watching. And, uh, I can already sense from that, that there's going to be a, a container held for whoever does that to really open up and hear things from a different point of view, see some possibilities. Ryan, did you have some other thoughts? Man, I, I just learned a lot about, uh, um, you know, just 
how others are observing me. I went through that exercise, which is kind of weird and a little spooky that this came up today on the eulogy and uh, um, have a big list of things. And uh, it's given me some time to to think about um, who Ryan is consistently and uh, to look and and make more goals and and more um, just kind of hold the vision of of where I want to you know, move next, I guess is the, is the term. Cause I, I feel like as like you get to a point, you look up and there's, there's a higher point, you just keep spiraling up. And so I can yes. see where I'm at currently and then also where I want to be next and start moving towards that. So this has been, this has been really great to hear um, from your perspective and um, hear all of Nick's beautiful questions. <laughs> 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 You're an amazing human, Erica, and I appreciate. And and uh, the nice thing is, is that we get to. Everybody has different backgrounds and stories when they come on. But what I see is people overcoming and growing and stepping and not giving up, and uh, turn around and helping others. And uh, as they're doing those things, they're they're giants. You're a giant in the world, and thank you for being a giant in our world. Oh, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you both so very much. Hopefully we'll chat really soon. <laughs> Thanks That's for having perfect. me. Again. You're welcome. For those that are watching, remember you're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're right on time. You're doing what you should be doing. And there are some possibilities around what you could be doing as well. So do that. Create your creation. Whatever it is, is good enough. So we love you. Thanks for being a part of the show. And we will see you in the next episode. Sounds love you good. too. Bye-bye.